0: A guest user, I, I saw your comment on that. Yeah, I, I, I do know that there are a lot of projects actually using AI, but the, the, the thing is that we actually have a lot of people in our um, community who do a lot of AI work. Um, Charlie Parker is a good example for that. Um, but, you know, the question is, do you guys think that it's going to be like you know all the freelancers like on fiverr and stuff who actually create AI who create nft projects and trades and everything for you um will artists be useless in the future because you know ai is like the progress is so insane and and what you're able to do today what you will be able to do tomorrow so um the, the question is will it will it take away the creativity of the artists that we have or will the work just somehow change and you know it's like be like useful for for everyone or will everyone or will like nobody need artists anymore and everyone can do whatever they want by themselves you know that's actually the question i wanted to ask um jason but yeah man like i said um I saw so much crazy stuff on, on, on the whole um Sora thing today, and the videos are crazy. So um, yeah, let, let's see where this takes us. Uh,
1: you're back, man? Uh, I think so. Can you hear me?
0: I can hear you perfectly.
1: Okay, Jesus Christ, man. Twitter space is fucking killing me. Uh, I mean, space, I know I'm...
0: It's like, it's, we never had
1: Twitter space without problems, right? yeah dude i know i mean uh i get that it's you know i get that it's a uh, you know sort of a, an experimental tech to some degree but by the same token we've got all these other companies who've semi-mastered the the process it's extremely annoying
0: yeah call elon call elon and tell him
1: <laughs> yeah are you getting an echo on your end still
0: uh i just got in the beginning but now it's definitely a lot better <laughs>
1: I, I'm still hearing an echo for some reason, but yeah, let me just jump in. And if you guys, uh, you know, if it gets too annoying, I'll, I'll figure something out. All right. Um, so you're asking about the AI artist thing. This is a great question because uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Def Jam Records or Rick Rubin, but uh, Rick Rubin, you know, founded Def Jam Records. Def Jam super famous for breaking a lot of acts, uh, rap acts, specifically back in the day, you know, from your, um, you know, like a. Like some of the biggest names in rap, like in the early 90s, they got their start. And then, of course, he's collaborated with lots of rock bands as well. And he's got sort of this mystical reputation in the marketplace for being this sort of philosopher guy about creativity. And the cool thing about art is that when you take the soul out of it, it's not art anymore. And so when you look at some of the AI stuff and as good as it can be and as good as it gets, it's really cool to see you know, how a machine can interpret your words and pull all those words together and create an image, you know, I, and I love it. I've played a little bit with um, with AI art. I actually have a, a small collection of AI art that I've created and I love it. But by the same token, the question is like, how does it relate to the art artist itself, right? Like if I'm the artist and I wanna say something, can the machine say it better than me? Can the machine pull it out of me? And I don't think we're quite there yet, you know, because the truth is we don't actually have this, um, you know, this, this intelligent, we don't have this intelligent AI yet, we don't have general AI, because if you, if you think about what uh, artificial intelligence actually is, if you give a machine, a machine like a, a general AI a command, if it were truly thinking it should have the ability to refuse. And so it's not actually thinking, it's just going through a massive database and pulling ideas together and then putting together what you think you want and what it thinks you want. And so from that standpoint, I mean, I don't think that it, it's a bad thing to have AI art. I think it's beautiful, it's fun to play with, but the question of does it have a soul you know, really comes to mind when I start thinking about what it looks like. And for me, I don't see a soul in it. And so because of that, I'm not really you know, convinced uh, when I see an AI piece that the artist himself is actually telling me how he feels or how she feels or what she was experiencing in that moment. Now, I'm not saying that the machine can't guess right every now and then and really create something amazing, but that's just my initial interpretation.
0: Yeah, 100%. I, I get that. I totally get that. I mean, I've seen a lot of stuff from from people who just used these prompts to to create something, and it always looked cool, but sometimes it was like, you know it's it's not 100 percent of what i actually imagined but if you had the possibility to like you own a collection Let, let's just take goodfellas for example we have a we have an evolving collection that means um or which means that that we will get new trades while we dis- distribute the pieces and if you were able to have an ai model and you can like implement our collection and you would be able to switch trades like it would basically learn how the art looks and it would perfectly imitate it. And then you could say like, hey, instead of a gun, give him a banana as a hand trade and it would look perfect. (laughs) Or or it it actually gives you like 10 different options and you can choose. Would you say it's justified to use it then?
1: I don't think there's a a hard rule on that. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, if you're doing an NFT collection where you've got generative art, I mean, to be honest with you, how tied to the end result is the original artist? You know, this kind of brings that question up, right? If if I paid an artist to execute my idea and that artist kicked out a bunch of cra- traits and kicked out a bunch of, you know, let's say in your example, using guns to bananas or what have you, um, at the end of the day, I'm paying someone else to interpret my words, just like me going to an AI and saying, hey, here's my words, interpret them. I don't really think in that sense it makes that much difference. What I'm talking about is when I'm creating a piece that represents something that I'm thinking or feeling. From a generative art standpoint, at the end of the day, the machine is actually putting all the pieces together to create the end result. And that end result can or cannot represent, you know, an idea that the artist wanted to portray. But more often than not, you know, a generative collection is basically just sort of a general idea of a bunch of different concepts that a particular collection wants to represent, whether it's, you know, in the case of us, like we have this mafia theme, you know, we can generally represent that mafia theme a thousand different ways. But if I said to uh, general AI, I want you to create a one piece that represents all these ideas and have it be meaningful to me, that's where I think we, we fall off the rails. And,
0: and yeah, I, I, I get your point, but from an, from an artist's perspective. Do you think, yeah, that would be cool if we had Maria on actually because she's, uh, we'll, we'll get to her later, but she's like actually the one who's um, bringing her her pieces to our collection for, for the Artist Incubator. But I would like to know from her, and maybe we can ask her because we have her uh, next time on the podcast, if, if um, creators and artists actually think that AI is, Will be will cause a problem for them because because will people still be willing to pay for the service of of, of people creating it themselves? You know.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's a great question, you know. And if anybody in the if anybody listening has an opinion, feel free to throw up your hand and and chime in. I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's going to be a mix because depending on how tied you are to the idea, right? So, like, if I'm going to AI, for example, and I say, listen, I want you to create like I did a a little collection of steampunk related uh, pieces. And I said, listen, I want you to create, you know, steampunk looking pieces that are sort of related to Bitcoin, blah, blah, blah. And it spits out these pieces that I think are really cool, right? That's fantastic. The image is beautiful that everything looks uh, the way I want it to look, but does it say what I want it to say? And so, from a from a standpoint of being really tied to the outcome, I'm not tied to the outcome. If I am creating it myself and I'm really putting my own touches on it, then I'm more tied to the outcome. That's when I think it matters more. When I really want to make a statement piece from from within me. And you know, if you look at if you look at what artwork actually represents, and Rick Rubin goes into this in his book, uh, The Creative Act, he talks about. The still, you know, to get a little bit philosophical, he talks about the the still small voice inside you that wants to say something and wants to bring thing wants to bring something to life. You can do it a thousand different ways, but at the end of the day, is the end result something that you resonate with and that you're tied to? Because if it is, then it's actually a piece of art, and it doesn't really matter how you get to it. And I think he uses an example of, um, let's see. Uh, Warhol, right? You know, Andy Warhol, right? He did the Campbell's soup cans, you know, the the big art, the big Campbell's soup cans. Well, this is a guy who, you know, didn't have the benefit of AI, but what he did have was the benefit of other artists. And he would actually outsource a lot of his artwork. So he himself didn't do the work. He just requested that someone else be, uh, to do it. And then he stuck his name on a lot of it. (laughs) And because he was who he was and because he produced what he produced, and was able to create a story around it, it still resonated with a lot of people, at least the story did, right? So if the tool is able to emulate and represent what it is you want it to say, then it's art. If the tool isn't, it's not. And I think on the surface level, if you look at you know these thousands of NFT projects that keep getting dropped on a saturated market, at the end of the day, the creators are not very tied to the outcome. And in that scenario, you know, if AI is generating the collection, you know, I think a lot of the artists that do that sort of meaningless, you know, less tied to the outcome type work. Yeah, I think they are in trouble for sure.
0: Yeah, 100%. I mean, I mean, if you look at, I'm definitely uh, looking forward to see how AI is going to affect the the NFT market. But in the end, you know, after I, I saw the footage and the sample videos that um, Sora, it's actually called Sora, um, able to create, you know, there are a lot of, a lot of people in the industries, like, for example, look at the, the stock footage markets, I've read about them a lot of times in the comments, you know, they will not be used anymore, nobody will, will need them anymore, because you can actually create whatever you want, if you need stock footage. But in terms of uh, NFTs, I definitely agree agree with you. I mean, um, the artist always wants to wants to say something with what he creates, and in the end, um, AI is never going going to be able to do that one hundred percent. But nevertheless, I think um, you know AI wasn't even on the schedule. I th- just wanted to get a quick opinion, and and we <laughs> tend to keep talking about everything. Um, let's jump into um, Bitcoin, I think you, you shared a pretty interesting um, news article about, about Bitcoin and, and runes and everything. I didn't really understand it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, for you to teach me now.
1: Yeah, for sure. So obviously you've got the big three tokens or the big four tokens right now. I'm, I'm not sure I'd have to pull up coin market cap, but I think, uh, let me just see here. You got Bitcoin, you got ETH, you got um, Solana, and Tether, um, Binance coin. Okay, so, so Solana is in the top five right now. <clears throat> Bitcoin is sitting at number one. Uh, Solana's market cap still sits at about 2.1, let's see, $48 billion. Okay, $48 billion. It looks like Bitcoin just topped $1 trillion today. Okay, amazing. Um, what's happening is there's this idea in the world that Bitcoin eats everything. And so the question becomes, how does that happen? How is that even possible? And one of the beautiful things about our collection is that it began on Bitcoin. And so we have this tie to the mother load, you know, the mother chain, if you will, the granddaddy of them all. And then we're we're making, uh, we're creating uh, uh, beautiful pieces on Solana as well. So we kind of have a marriage between the two. And I love both of them for different reasons. Uh, So the question is, If ordinals can exist on Bitcoin, why would they exist on something else? And then the other question is, if we can create meme coins on Bitcoin, why would meme coins or shit coins be available on any other chain? Right. And what Runes is doing and what um, Atomicals is doing is they've made it possible for you to actually create your own token on top of Bitcoin. Okay, so we could take our token and we could create it and it could live on Bitcoin. And the cool thing is it sort of separates the real market from the shit coinery, right? So you've got like you were telling me the other day, you're watching a lot of shit coins on, you know, whatever service you're, you follow. And you're like, you know, half of these things go to market and then they sell and then the, the founder just disappears. So it's like 100% rug, just a, a big take on the marketplace, just swindling people left and right. Well, the cool thing about something like Atomicals or Runes, if we build tokens on top of that, you can actually tie those tokens to Satoshis. And so for those of you guys who are familiar with Bitcoin, every Bitcoin is divisible into 100 million Satoshis. So if we created, you know, Goodfellas token, whatever, uh, and let's say we created 21 million of them, we could tie those to 21 million sats. And so if you own the token, you actually own the underlying sat. And again, you can never be rugged because you own the underlying asset forever and ever unless and until you decide to sell it. So what's being brought to market with runes is this idea that you can create your own ticker symbol, claim it, and then create tokens on top of that ticker symbol. And so right now there's a mad rush to get in uh, uh, early on the ticker symbols because the early ones, I- ideally will be the most desirable ones. And just like ordinals, they'll be numbered. So if you remember back when we first launched our ordinals in, I think it was August, they, we actually started at 21 million, ironically enough. Like the first ordinals have a 21 million um, ID. And now we're at something like 60 million, I think, if I remember correctly. And, of course, those early ordinals are the most valuable ones. So people who bought those early bosses are going to have much more valuable ordinals than, than people who come in later from a numismatic uh, perspective. And so same thing, the same idea with runes. It's like, okay, I'm going to have this ticker symbol. It's going to be, you know, the first thousand or the first hundred or the first hundred thousand released. And then, of course, if you own that on chain, you can actually sell it or you can um trade it or you can use it uh, inside your project to actually create real value for your holders. And so then that raises this massive question like if you can do shit coins on Bitcoin, right? And I guess technically they wouldn't be shitcoins if they were tied to satoshis, then you can't rug people. If you can do ordinals on Bitcoin, then why would you do it on another chain? And then you know that raises the question about gambling, because you know everybody likes to gamble in this marketplace. So that's kind of what's happening with runes. And I listened to a podcast yesterday with, um, uh, Casey rod armor, who was the guy who, you know, created ordinals and, uh, is now getting ready to release, um, and the planned release date is at the halvening. So for those of you guys who, who are familiar with Bitcoin, you know, Bitcoin halves every 210,000 blocks. So we're going into the fourth halving at block 840,000, and I think we have just over 9,000 blocks to go. Uh, Bitcoin kicks out about 900 blocks a day right now. And so at this pace, I think, if I remember correctly, I might have to go look that up. Don't quote me on that. So at this pace, uh, runes are scheduled to launch uh, in April-ish. And when that happens, what I'm seeing is a lot of the bigger projects are already lined up and are making contracts with miners so that they can get early access to that first block and register their runes inside that very first uh, block. So
0: if, if I got it right, it doesn't really affect NFTs on Bitcoin, right? It's just for like tokens for now.
1: Yeah, it actually adds to the functionality of Bitcoin and in terms of what you can build on top of it. See, like the whole idea behind Ethereum was, well, we can't do smart contracts on Bitcoin, so we need to create Ethereum. This was Vitalik's whole idea. And the reason Ethereum exists is because the Bitcoin core devs basically rejected his idea of putting smart contracts into the core code. And what Rod Armor has done is he's found a way around the need of doing that. And so because of that, and because something like Bitcoin is incredibly simple compared to the complexities of something like Ethereum or Solana, and the question becomes, where do you build? Do you build on a Bitcoin layer two or a Bitcoin layer three? Or do you stick with something like an Ethereum, which is incredibly complex and almost just as expensive?
0: Okay. Yeah, man, got it. I, I mean, when you like told me about the runes I, th- I think you sent me an article i tried to get some information there are not too many out there and um it's definitely not that clear of of, of what they're trying to do but yeah luckily i i got you and you will keep me up- updated every week um so yeah def- <laughs> definitely definitely interesting what what's happening um but for now like i said for the nft space not yet too important but you know looking at the crypto space in general we've seen like a lot of green lately um i, I hear people saying like um you know new to, uh, new all-time high by june or by by april and not, not april by uh, september october um and yeah let, let's let see what's possible i mean um i think all of us are very happy with the with um the involvement of of the crypto space lately um but to get to the nft space now um i think we had a little talk about the teddy bears and the teddy bears are actually a project that launched uh, what did they say like nine or ten days ago and the founder i actually forgot the name um made a post on twitter and on, on on the discord saying that he that he like his explanation was kind of he's too stressed and he's like too too young and it kind of imp- implied like he's too immature even because he said that uh, most of the founders on, on solana and, and if solana and nft space are probably in their early 20s and stuff and used that as some kind of apology uh, for like stepping down as as the leader of this project and handed it over to someone else, so um, yeah, what we basically saw is another guy quitting pretty early, and yeah. um, I think the big this... problem is that um, you know, I, I haven't really monitored the teddy bears uh, in, the, in the last couple of weeks, but if you go the usual Solana path, and we've talked about that so many times, like you try to hype your project up as, as, as much as possible, then that will lead up to the to the mint day, and then you will most likely mint out. You know, you, you use a lot of influencers and stuff. You do attract the people who, who want that shit, like who, who are going to put you under pressure after, and who are going to, to come at you and, and say stuff like after the mint, like, um, hey, when utility, when moon, when this, when that. And then these founders like get under pressure and, and um, feel like they, they, they can't do it anymore, just like the teddy bear guys. So um, in the end, it's like some kind of circle that always repeats and, and people just don't learn. So uh, yeah, what, what, do we, what do we learn from the teddy bears?
1: Uh, I think every lesson um, that you could possibly learn about the NFT market is in this particular example What happened was I I read through it and basically this guy did a launch and then quit nine days later and he quit, you know, at least I will give him this. He at least showed up and said he was going to quit, right? Like so many of these guys just disappear and they leave people hanging and no, you know, no excuses, no reasoning, no nothing, but he at least did that. So I'll give him credit there. And then the whole idea was, okay, now this other company is going to come in and buy the IP rights, which is ding 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 what we're doing right and so you see larger companies who are smart and they understand ip rights starting to understand that they can start picking up some of these collections and um and actually using them in real businesses in the future but that's another story so but the lesson that you learn from this is is simply this like why do so many of these people who open a client or who begin a, a a project start one and then walk away from it right and when you start at the top with your building like let's say for example um you know like right now i could go on twitter and i could hire an influencer and say i'm gonna drop um i don't know monster energy you know nft and it's going to be a a picture of a dirt bike rider or something you know i guess and i'm going to have an artist create this for me or i'm going to have ai create this for me and I'm gonna hire five different influencers who have 50,000 followers on Twitter, and we're gonna hype this up and we're gonna make a quote unquote whitelist. And then we're gonna dump it on the market with all this fake information, because my account is anonymous and nobody really knows who I am and therefore I don't actually have to be responsible for my, <laughs> for my uh, results, right? Which is something that you would never actually see in the real world because people are smarter than that. Like you would never invest in a stock where the CEO was anonymous and the board of directors was anonymous and the, you know, and the clear path to an actual business was some muddy fucking, you know, pond filled with, you know, moss and frogs. You just would never do that. But you are seeing it here because so many people are attracted to the number go up, right? That what NFTs really have become is number go up technology, right? It's just number go up. If the number goes up, I'm happy. So if you take a founder and you put them in this, Uh, scenario, and they're not accustomed to money, they're not accustomed to investing, they're not accustomed to being tied to uh, results-based outcomes, they're not accustomed to being held accountable. If you hold them accountable, they cry, and if if they cry, then they have to go to a safe safe space and hold on to one of those teddy bears, right? These are the type of people that have no business leading or running any type of organization, because at the end of the day, they're emotionally not prepared for what's coming. And so, you know, if you look at some of the stuff that happens in these discords where you bring a bunch of people in all at once, you hype everything up, you create an incredible amount of pressure to produce something that doesn't exist. And in addition to that, the discord acts almost like an anchor, almost like a... Uh, like a, a, a bit of inertia keeping you in one place, because if you're a founder and you've got a small team and you've got people barking at you every five minutes about what are you doing? When's this coming out? What's going on here? You can't spend your day building. You can't spend your day negotiating. You can't spend your day creating. And when you lose your days in creating, you fall behind and now you start to feel like shit and now you still have all this added pressure you want to produce you want to show up and so at the end of the day it just gets to be too much if you're not emotionally prepared for what that's you know for what that's going to create for you so i think the better approach is to start small to build into the growth not start at the top because if you start at the top the only way that you can go from there is down unless and until you actually have a product launch that matches the actual value proposition that you're putting forth. Like let's say, for example, if I'm, you know, if I'm backpack, right? Like if I'm the guys who created a uh, uh, backpack wallet and I'm launching because I actually have a product that's ready for the real world and it's actually going to create a, uh, a marketable uh, value proposition, then yeah, I can hype that up and I can launch that and I can create value through something like mad lads. Right. But if I'm, promising you something and i'm creating all this stress and strain and all these expectations and now adding to that by bringing a bunch of people into a discord that's going to be underserved i'm just creating more stress and strain for myself and of course if i'm not mentally prepared i'm just going to crumble under the pressure and you know you know my heart goes out to a lot of these guys because i know that they have good intentions but you know good intentions don't mean anything when it comes time to produce and if you're taking money from someone and you're saying, listen, I'm gonna build because I took your money, I owe you this building, you're obligating yourself to serve that person. And the NFT market hasn't yet figured that out. Like the, the cheapo chains, like the Solanas and you know the Polygons and the cheapo chains, they haven't figured this stuff out yet. Because again, the best and worst thing about some of the cheaper chains is that they're cheap. There's a low barrier to entry, which means anyone can start one, right? And there's a low barrier to entry which means anyone can walk away from one because now they're not fully invested and that's changing and so when the price of solana goes up that's actually a good thing because the truth is it costs about i mean even the cheapest production methods cost about if you want to create uh let's say 100 p nfts like for example for our crew we did a drop of a hundred a complete family of nfts for christmas uh just as a gift that was 100 pieces 100 p nfts it cost me two and a half to three soul just to create those nfts okay so it cost me about 300 bucks plus my time plus my energy plus my efforts in creating all that to make sure that that went to our people for free so if i am creating a freebie project and i'm creating thousand nfts or ten thousand nfts multiply that out okay so 10 times two and a half, 100 times two and a half, you can start to see the costs add up tremendously. So you might have a founder who's willing to put his money on the line, who's willing to put his time on the line, who's willing to put all this energy and effort into getting something into the world, right? This piece of art, this thing he wants to create, he wants to engineer this beautiful thing. But then at the end of the day, it gets all this negative pressure from people who just expect number go up. Hey, number's not going up, you suck. Number's not going up, what are you doing? When this, when that, you know, the time horizon is just completely fucked. And in a situation where you have this is called low time preference, when you want everything now, you have a low time preference. I'm sorry, a high time preference. When When you're in a situation where you have this high time preference, like everything has to happen now, you start to make bad decisions because of the pressure because of the fear, right? So you get the, the FOMO and you get the win mint stuff, and that just builds and builds and builds. And on some of these guys who have never been in a situation where they've built anything or created an organization, man, it just grates on you to the point where it's like, I'm just, I just want to give up. And I, and one, one example, one of the collections that we picked up when I was talking to the founder, he literally said to me, you know, I simply can't open Discord anymore. I hate it. I'm not going to open it anymore. I'm not going in there. There's nothing positive happening there. I do not want to be a part of it, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? And this is a grown ass man that I'm talking to in his 50s. And he's like, I'm done with it. I cannot handle it, right? So what I'm saying is the pressure is real. And I think a lot of times if you're in the market as a consumer, not really adding value to the marketplace, from a standpoint of really looking out for people or doing good things, which is kind of what our project is based around, you don't understand what these guys are experiencing. Like they really want to do good things. But you know, when it comes right down to it, you know, maybe you got a girlfriend or a family or a kid or a, a job and all that stuff is weighing on you too. It's time to just, you know, take a mental health break.
0: Yeah, I think yeah, I, d- I definitely agree. I I feel like um, you mentioned a pretty important thing that that whenever founders are starting a project and they they kind of artificially hype it up and everything you know you, you do attract the people how did you call it like the people with high, high time preference yeah um,
1: high time preference
0: who are going to put pressure on you after the mint and, and everything um but you also gave the, that guy credit that teddy bear guy credit for actually telling people, like, hey, I'm stepping down, I, I got problems and everything. But to be honest, like, I think a reason for people to do that is because everyone is getting away with it, you know? We had that, um, who was that guy, Bungie? What was his name? I don't know, uh, that Lotus guy. And yeah. he actually did the same. He took 200K and left and then cried a bit. And everyone was like, hey, it's fine. Do your thing, like, you know? And um Back then, for example, let's take our previous founder, like, he actually left, he was doxxed, there is a big company in Abu Dhabi that his brother owns, who was definitely also kind of um, involved in in the Art of Mob project, and he just left and got away with it, nobody really cared, and that's a thing you cannot do in the real world. So, what do you think, why is it still possible in Web3 that you can just, like, launch something uh, something even if you're doxxed and then run away and nobody cares?
1: Because it's new, it's a new market and it still works. And people do, you know, people are incentivized uh, to do bad things. You know, when the incentive is I can show up, even at, let's say you're doc, quote unquote docs, right? What does that actually mean? If I'm selling NFTs to the world, and let's say, like the like uh, Basil, the former guy, he's in what, Lebanon, I think, if I remember correctly? Mm, he's from, yeah, yeah, right. I, I'm not sure if I'm he sure. lives there, but yeah. Some. Okay, so what am, what am I going to do, right? I buy a bunch of NFTs. Am I going to fly to Lebanon and, and initiate a lawsuit? No, uh, it's not worth it. Like by the time I invest in a plane ticket and a lawyer, I've already spent more money than the NFTs are worth, right? So why would I even bother? So it, even though you're quote unquote doxed, unless there's some sort of legal relationship you have with the founders, which, like in our case, we guarantee that our holders always have IP rights. If we were to break that, they could come after us easily because we've publicly declared that. Right. And they know who we are and we're not hiding from anyone. Right. And I've actually given some of our people my home phone number. <laughs> you know, like, you just know, say, call me, you know, like, whatever you need, I'm, I'm here to help. Right. And uh, at the end of the day. You know, but at the end of the day, I can be held accountable for any of those things. That's why I'm very careful about what I say and very measured in how we're moving forward, not trying to do too much too soon, and really making sure that we invest in good people because good people understand it takes work to actually create value, right? The number go up people, the win mint people, those are not the people who who you want to run with, at least initially, because at some point you have to realize that the people you surround yourself with are going to be either an anchor or a jet engine. And in most cases, in the NFT market, they're an anchor. That's just the truth. I mean, that's just as hard as I mean, that's hard words to say, but it's truth. So when we're talking about like our bosses and having, you know, individual conversations with them and making sure that we take care of them and making sure that we honor our commitments to them, I'm doing that because I give a shit about them. Right. And I care about my reputation and i care about the fact that everybody can succeed in the long term i'm not really interested in and in, you know this like you know we haven't paid ourselves anything from this project and that's okay because we don't need to at this stage you know and so at the, as i'm looking at this thing i see you know if if i'm going to drop a thousand, five thousand, ten thousand 10000 pieces and i'm going to get all that income up front Okay. And I've never seen money in my life, right? I've never seen money like this in my life. What am I tempted to do as an anonymous or either foreign known person? I'm incentivized to do bad things. You know, like I've literally seen guys do a launch and then go buy a Lambo (laughs) and then somehow claim that this was for the benefit of the holders because we're gonna market with the Lambo. It's the dumbest shit I've ever seen in my life, right? And mm. so I never wanna be associated with that. And I would never participate in uh, a situation where that was the case. So if if I'm in a in any sort of project and if I'm working with someone for someone or alongside someone, what I really want to make sure is that everyone is on the same page in terms of what we're creating. And that comes from having values. And so when we're in Discord, and I'm typing something out, and I'm saying, listen, man, let's find the gold in the marketplace, listen, man, we're negotiating these contracts, you know, listen, man, we're going to do this, and this, and this, and this, what I actually mean is that I'm actually going to do those things, because one of my highest values is telling the truth. Like, the truth is, we're doing this work. The truth is, I care that we succeed. The truth is that I want you with us. The truth is, is I care what's going on in your life. You know, I can't tell you how many DMs that I get from bosses where they're telling me, "Hey, man, I'm having a rough time," and I'm just like, "Listen, man, I'm here for you. Whatever you need, you know, here's my contact information. If I can support you, reach out." And I actually mean that. So I think that that's rare. And but I also think that, you know, and kind of coming back to what your point is. In the marketplace, that isn't incentivized. The incentive is to get money fast and now, and then hope for the best, and then move on. And you know, with the with the uh, Lotus guy or, or whatever it was, I forget his name. Um, you know, he made that sort of public announcement, and it was cool because I saw a couple people from other projects actually call out the fact that you underperformed. It's like. Um, I think it was Gentle Monkey from uh, Dandies. He's like, listen, you know, everybody thinks you're a good person, blah, blah, blah. But the truth is you took money and you ran. And the truth is you need to be held accountable for that. And the truth is if I had a quarter million dollars, this is what I could have built. Right. And I saw the same thing with Blackout um, or Survivors. They had uh, a seven figure investment from um from private equity. So they got a million dollars and they were building a a web three, basically version of Dropbox where you could have secure file storage. And they got the app into alpha basically, we were testing with it. And then we just get a message one day saying, hey, you know what, we're out of money and we all have other jobs and so-and-so is gonna go work for Ripple. And so at the end of the day, we just need to call it quits. It's like, okay, you had a million dollars and you couldn't develop one app. I mean, come on, this is the type of stuff that if you ever did this in the real world, people would literally hunt you down. <laughs> it just would never happen.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I like. I don't even think that, you mentioned people like um, seeing all that money, they've never seen money and then they are tempted to run, but I feel like there, there are also a lot of projects who actually want to build something but then like see that the project they orgin- originally like planned is not sustainable like it's not even creating any kind of income and then they they feel like you know either i i put the money into the project that is not going to, to be sustainable or i'm going to take it myself and and like t- take take advantage of it you know and um that's why people should definitely make a decent plan for like a business plan i've never seen that in nft space and that it, it's like the most normal thing in, in the real in the real world so yeah um but i, I see we're almost in uh, for one hour now so let's just jump to to our project real quick um I'm, I'm a little in a rush um and we have our artist incubator coming up next week um, Maria, who's, who's um, known for her Woman for Cosmos collection, is our first artist who's bringing art to the Goodfellas universe. And um, yeah, she provided pieces, she will be on the podcast next week, so make sure to check out the episode from next week. We hope to, to release it on, on Tuesday. And um, she's going to talk a bit about the collection. Uh, Jason, you've seen the pieces, how do you, how do you like them?
1: I mean, dude, they're beautiful. And the thing that I really like about them is that she hand drew every single piece. Every pixel on every piece was her creation. And so when I see that, I you know, I just get that much more excited about it. But yeah, we're stoked about this. This is gonna be another uh, 21s type gallery where there'll be 21 numbered prints. And of course, she's the first of many artists that we wanna onboard and give them a platform. And uh, you know, we've got some creative people uh, inside our server. you know, Like you mentioned, Charlie, um, Chaz actually has one of his pieces up for bids to be on the tickets to um, uh, NFT NYC. And so, I mean, we've got a lot of creative people that we can reach out to, but there's also some big names that I'm talking to behind the scenes so that we can actually make this a thing. And then of course, keeping with the 21 rarity, which is gonna be super cool. Um, It just adds to the mystique of what we're doing and I think, you know, probably one of the biggest things that we can continue to do in the space is to um, look for ways to gamify what we're doing and create scarcity because what we see in the NFT market is a perpetual drop, just a perpetual drop of more and more and more and more and more. And when you're an artist who wants to put some beautiful work into the marketplace in that scenario, it really harms you because the dilution in the marketplace pulls money into all these different corners of the market. And rather than you be diluted and not make any money off of a beautiful piece that you've created, it's much better to have a gallery that's dedicated to people who really want to create, and then we have collectors, entrepreneurs, holders who really value it and want to be a part of that collection. So this will be a collection that grows indefinitely while we continue to add pieces to it. But again, individual pieces, 21 at a time, 21 at a time, 21 at a time, 21 at a time. And you know, it's like we've said before, this takes a lot more energy and effort, and it's much more high quality effort to do it this way. It's I get why people drop so much at once because it's way easier. You have one hash list. You have one conversation with, you know, with yeah, with um, uh, your data guys. You have one conversation with uh, Matrika, and you're done. But this, it's perpetual. It's in and out, in and out, constantly updating the hash list, constantly updating roles, constantly creating, and it takes more time, energy, and effort. And I think that's what makes it beautiful. And so, you know, part of the artwork that we're creating is the art of engineering these outcomes. And so anyone who's listening to this who has contacts with artists, you know, please connect us, you know, invite them into the Discord, invite them to Twitter, you know, hell, send them to to me directly. I'm happy to have a one on one conversation with them. We want to make sure that, you know, they're taken care of. And so this isn't a, you know, and part of the way this is set up is this isn't a one and done for Maria. Like we're not doing work for hire. You know, she's going to get mint funds she's going to get royalties forever and so every time we bring an artist in we're going to take care of them that way and so we're really looking forward to adding value to the marketplace rather than just being a consumptive you know sort of presence in the market
0: yeah and i'm i'm really looking forward to how the community reacts to the pieces because the art is actually so different from ours but it's so it's so unique you know you can actually you can actually show me a random monkey or a random ape and you never know where it's coming from. But if you look at a woman from Maria, you you immediately realize, hey, it's Maria's piece. She made it. And I mean, you guys can actually check out her collections on Polygon, on, on and you will see what I mean by that. You can, like, like I said, it's, it's it's so unique and, and beautiful. And um, I think people will love it. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to share it with the community. Um, Yeah, and that is basically it for now. Um, Do you have any more to to add for today?
1: I just wanna say, you know, obviously if anyone has anything to add, throw up a hand, for sure. Um, These spaces are open and welcoming. You know, this is a perfect time for Q&A and obviously get to know us. And obviously we're in the infancy of this, um, growing this thing. So we appreciate every single person from the community and without the community who who decided to pop by and, and listen. You know, I just want to send a lot of love to you guys. I know we don't get a lot of interaction inside Discord, which is kind of one of the reasons I prefer, you know, real life uh, communication. I actually like to connect with people, but I'm always available to you guys. Um, Alex is in Germany, I'm in Arizona. So we're working in two different time zones, trying to create for you guys. And we're always thinking about the future of the project. So, you know, just want to send love to everyone who's uh, shown support in picking up ordinals, picking up NFTs. Um, investing time on the spaces, you know, I I can't, I don't really have the words to express how much we appreciate you guys. So that's it for me.
0: Beautiful final words. Um, Yeah. And if if you guys want to join us, you can definitely do that. We would love to talk to you people personally. So if you want to join a space, you're more than welcome. And yeah, looking forward to the next episode and see you soon guys. Bye-bye.
1: Take care, man.